We're back, and of course, it's just in time for spooky season because it's us. It's Ace Comicals. Uh, welcome to Ace Comicals episode one three six. And uh, yeah, we've got some cool stuff lined up for you later on in this year, which was the whole reason we took a, a little bit of a break um, because I've been diving deep into some uh, some stuff that has something to do with a little a little you know insignificant storyline that celebrates its thirtieth anniversary this year. <laughs> And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to give it a big sort of like, I wanted to do something big for it on Ace Comicals. So I'm working on something and I hope that my storytelling skills are up to scratch for what I want to bring you guys. Um, there's been some hints on the Ace Comicals Twitter account of what we're planning anyway. And it's not really a big secret, but oh well. <laughs> I like to pretend it is. And I don't know if Leon is getting sick of all the shit I keep sending him. <laughs> we haven't even started the uh, the recordings for it yet. I know, I know. Yeah, it's it's going to be one of those things. Um, so yes, uh, a an event that changed the comics game in many ways and had a lasting impact and can still be felt now. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited to get into that and start talking about that. But that's what I've been working on and that's why we've taken a bit of a break. So um, hopefully the break was worth it. And when I do bring you the episodes I want to bring you, you'll hopefully enjoy listening. Um, so yeah, we're back now for the rest of the year. And um, yeah, we've got some stuff to talk about today. Uh I just wanted to point out that um, the new Junji book, Liminal Zone, is now out in the wild. Um, I've read about 30 pages of it. I started oh, nice. reading it this evening before this cast. Yeah, it's really fucking good, as usual, um, as with everything he does. Um, saving that because um, I want to do something cool with that as well. Uh, but we'll see whether that comes to fruition if we manage to get um, another Junji episode under our belts. I'd love to. Um and that's the thing, we're so close to spooky season. We may Yeah, as well, it'd be so uh, worth it to do it in October, wouldn't it? Yeah, fully embrace yeah. it. It'd be great. Um, what have you been up to in the interim anyway, Leon? I have been doing everything and nothing. Uh, I think since I was last on an episode, I've been back to uh, a convention, uh, a quote-unquote anime convention even though it's not really the major focus of these things now but these are notable especially for this podcast because they're kind of a central reason why i know uh, you and why i know rahul so it's um it was funny sort of going back to one of those especially as like a uh, aging millennial as, as we all are but yeah ha- had a good time it, it was fun it was a quick weekend but it was it was a good uh respite and it was the closest thing that i'm going to get to a holiday this year so so if anything i'm looking forward to next year when i've I've got uh hopefully have a few uh, fun holidays uh set up and it won't just be hanging out on a uni campus in warwick (laughs) yeah i've um i feel awful now because i've actually been on holiday this year (laughs) a couple of times um I went to Spain while I was uh, in the interim. I went to Spain, but this is like while I was in Spain, I was firmly head in Death of Superman because I was like reading it while I was there. So like I'm out there in the Spanish sun and instead of doing, you know, like, I, I mean, I was doing typical holiday stuff. We were walking around, visited the beach a few times or whatever, but like I was spending a good couple of hours every day looking at Ginger Lex. 
What a like, sicker. Looking at the face of Ginger, Ginger Lex Luthor. <laughs> Absolute sicker. <laughs> I was staying out of the sun looking at the face of Ginger. <laughs> well, look, come on, man. Like, you, you've got to get used to hearing the three words Ginger Australian clone. <laughs> because there's going to come up a lot when we actually start talking about Death of Superman proper. <laughs> and I just cannot get over the... It's beyond soap opera ridiculousness, isn't it? I suppose only in comics. Ginger Australian clone. Like, what a... What a combination of things. Like, And, and that's, that's not a what three words address. That's just something that happened. And I just loved the character design as well. Like, I can't get past the character design of Lex Luthor, Ginger Lex Luthor. It's just, it's madness. It's honestly madness. Like, yeah. Anyway, uh, enough of that anyway, because I, I just, that's, that's my idiosyncrasy, that I can't get past that character design, because it just, it's just so bombastic and such a weird way to introduce or reintroduce a character. It's like, we'll transplant his brain into his hair stute ginger Australian clone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I've not really been doing an awful lot. Um, I've watched the new Thor movie. I was fairly disappointed in the new Thor movie, <laughs> to say the least. Um, have you seen it yet, Leon? Yeah, I, I watched it uh, at the weekend, I think. Yeah, at the weekend. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's it's messy. I don't I don't hate it as much as other people hate it, but uh, it's like of all the things uh, I've watched that Taika Waititi's been involved in, it's the worst one by far. And it it is it's a massive uh, come down after the uh, high heights or the soaring heights of uh, Thor Ragnarok, which uh, in my opinion. Uh, resurrected that character and uh, Chris Hemsworth's portrayal of him, and then uh, Love and Thunder is uh, I don't know, it's a step too far, and it's just like it's it's that messy. It, it, I know it's the fourth movie of those, but it's like that messy second album where uh, the uh, not I guess it's a mix. It's not even like hubris, but it's a mix of just like I don't know, putting the kitchen sink in there and it not working. So yeah, it's a very just messy movie that doesn't really know exactly what it's trying to be. I I think rather than like hating it, I think I was just I was more or less disappointed, like severely disappointed. Um, like you said, after after Thor Ragnarok and then coming onto that, it was just um, it it felt really flat. It fell flat for me. I just did not did not get on. Um, and and I, I I I think it was phoned. It feels phoned in, doesn't it? Mm. Like real, like like phoned in and lazy. Lazy, I think, is the word I'm looking for. I think it's um, it it's more of a case of there's a lot of interesting concepts and ideas put into this broth. But like I, on Letterbox, I did see like a review which which mirrored how I felt where it's like this is a good first draft where's the rest of it and that's what it kind of feels like it feels like this is the treatment where it's like okay we're going to do this storyline and we're going to do this and blah 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 but it's like 
yeah, but where's the actual story? Where's the like theme? Where, where's just a compelling comedy? It's all sort of very scattershot. And there's a few moments here and there that I thought, okay, that's not the worst. But yeah, it's uh, and then it's uh, one of the worst things I think about it is that it's quite forgettable, and that's quite wild to say after Four Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um... I don't think I'll be revisiting it anytime soon. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not in a rush to rewatch it. Um, I just remember um, sitting there watching it with Sophie and pausing it halfway through, and Sophie kind of just looking at me and go, saying something along the lines of, "Is this film for real?" Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess the yeah that 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 gets the um, I think it gets the AC waning middle thumb, doesn't it? Yeah, because I believe Rahul felt yeah. the same as well. He saw it in the yeah. cinema, I think, um, yeah. and uh, he wasn't too hot on it. So it gets the it gets the Ace Comicals like handout horizontal thumb thing going on. Um. So yeah. Uh, on to today's books then. Oh, uh, so... did, did you want to mention She Hulk in the midst of that? Oh yeah, no, that's actually really good. Like She-Hulk. Um, I almost forgot about mentioning She-Hulk because I was too focused on um, Thor. But yeah, no, She-Hulk is actually really good. I'm actually really impressed with it. I really like it. Um, I think it's really entertaining. What do you think? I'm having fun with it because my expectations are fairly checked for what it is. And I think a lot of people are not. I'm here for a sitcom where it gets to deliver on the promise that uh, we probably got really early on with these type of movies where it's like it's a show that feels like the comic books in the sense that one of my pet peeves of a lot of these Marvel things, especially the TV ones uh, and, and streaming TV in general, is that like the idea of the episode disappeared and what happens now is that what every showrunner says is like, oh, really? It's an eight-hour movie that we've split into eight parts. And it's like, that always sucks when they do that because inevitably you have either a weak ending or the flow is completely lost in the middle and they're just spinning their wheels. And obviously that was super notable in the, in the non-MCU uh, Netflix Marvel shows where all of them were like too long. And the thing with She-Hulk, I really love its episode uh, episode of structure episodic structure in the same way that I like TV that had an episodic structure. And I do like that we get to just have these things where it's like, it's a silly sitcom that has comic book stuff happening. And we actually get to see a character do their job while also dealing with the hassle of being, having these newfound powers and interacting with other people in the Marvel universe. And, and like my, I guess my favorite thing is the whole sort of breaking the fourth wall, addressing stuff. It all feels like natural and it means that like uh tone clashes don't feel as bad so it's yeah. like uh so I, I i'm having fun with it like like with a lot all of these things i'm not i can't say i love any single one of these things they're all just like pleasant tv for half an hour and yeah she she hulk is um a nice uh pleasant half hour that doesn't take itself too seriously so mm. it's um, um it's fun and it, it's like it's something that you can you can sit and watch and enjoy and it you don't have to think too hard about it while you're enjoying yeah. it. It's, it's one of those type of shows where it's just 
In the same way that I, you know, like when you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It has, it has Brooklyn Nine-Nine vibes. Yeah, I guess because that's like a modern version of like the standard sitcom where every episode it's like, what is the uncanny thing that's going to happen that brings our characters together and you have an A and B plot and then they, they either yeah. converge or they don't. And at the end of the day, you've had a good time watching TV for 25 minutes and then the next one loads up and then you jump into that one. So yeah, yeah. like it has like a sort of sort of comfort food uh, type feel. I, I think yeah. like my my major thing because I really like all the actors in the show, especially like uh, Tatiana Maslany, who's awesome. Mm. Uh, but like m- anytime they're in the office, like I think it's a remarkable achievement to have a show where your folk, well, like your lead character is going to be completely CGI most of the time. That is wild. We've never really seen it before at this level on TV. But, like, any time they're in the office and it's the harsh lights and stuff, man, like, that, that the She-Hulk compositing just doesn't look good. And it, it, it looks like this weird sort of floating character at times. And then any time they've got actual cool lighting, like a bit more moody lighting, or they're outside at night time, stuff like that, no notes. Looks great. She looks great. The animation looks great. The compositing looks great. The bits where she's inside it just looks like yeah it just looks so flat and weird and like this obviously is no knock to the vfx artists who are like geniuses and what they do but like it it definitely like we're feeling that thing of the whole like the marvel churn where when it comes to uh the way they handle their relationships with like uh, vfx houses and stuff and just the the weird demands they have and the, the last minute additions they have, like all that stuff that we've known and has come out uh, over the last sort of 12 months and stuff. Like you definitely like really feel it here when it's a show that has to rely on it so much. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, apart from the office scenes, like uh, I, I think She-Hulk looks pretty good. And like in the, in the, yeah. the episodes where we've seen uh, Bruce, I mean, they've got that down. Like he looks perfect uh, every time they show him. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a great show. I, 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 do you more, I don't notice these things that you notice with this, with the, the CGI. I'm always having too much fun watching it. Um, so I don't, I don't, um, my eyes aren't attuned to things like that. So I guess for me, until it's pointed out, I wouldn't notice it. And I just thought it looked great anyway. And I just thought it was really fun to see She-Hulk on screen. Mm. Um, and just see her do her thing and actually getting the lawyer stuff in there as well, which is really fun. Um, and like weird lawyer situations, like her having to, um, like defend abomination and things like that. Just, yeah. just strange things like that. Like, but like, it, I, that's I, what I, I was saying like earlier yeah. where like it feels pure comic book in a way that was promised by earlier stuff, but they never, never really, yeah. um, uh, they never really, uh, followed through with that promise whereas this it really does like feel like like uh the funny the funny book just interconnected in a way that's no big yeah. deal it's not like yeah. dun 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 like it there has this has to be a thing like abominations there so there has to be a storyline where abomination ends up fighting someone it's like no 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 it's just no, uh she's she, just there she's there to defend him <laughs> yeah he's just there it's a six issue run <laughs> yeah and it, it feels it feels nice yeah. and I, I like and it, it. it yeah i mean it it feels naturally like comic book writing which is what i think i really vibe with on it and why i think i enjoy it so much have you seen the trailer for werewolf by night 
Yeah, yeah, part of the D23 <laughs> thing, yeah. Yeah. I am so looking forward to it. Yeah, that. I thought that would be right up your alley. I thought, um, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> it, it looks quite fun. Yeah, more notice on that when it drops in October, because we will be talking about that, because I, I, I'm actually looking forward to that. It looks really fun. I like how it's um, shot. It has a really cool yeah. style to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, she, She-Hulk is worth watching. Thor, take it or leave it. Um, on to the comics then. So we'll open with a couple of books that we were sent for review by Avery Hill. Um, so the first one is already out on shelves. Um, and we're going to open with Suzanne, the Jazz Age Goddess of Tennis. Now, this is a biopic comic uh, of the life of Suzanne Langlin, um, a French tennis player who revolutionized the game for women and was the first leading amateur to turn professional. Um, I think the name is pronounced uh, Suzanne Langlin. Am I right? Very possibly. I've read the name more than I've heard it said. I was trying to practice it yesterday uh, because it is a, it's a French name and there's a French pronunciation. So if I'm getting it wrong, I really apologize. Um, I think it's Suzanne Longhorn, Longhorn. Um, but I, my French is terrible. So please forgive me. Um, yeah, so this book um, charts her life and her rise to become the first world number one and her extraordinary career in tennis. Um, it charts how she trained, how she brought an entirely new and dynamic playstyle to the court, uh, full of movement. Um, it talks about her playing outfits, which at the time were viewed as scandalous. Um, she had a higher hemline than what was the norm in tennis in those days. Um, women used to wear like these big, really heavy dresses and things, and she opted for lighter clothing with a higher hemline so she could move quicker and be more dynamic on the court. Um, and she basically blew the gates open for others to follow, and she had an impact on the game uh, and fashion on and off the court in that way because obviously people began to follow suit. Like, why, why am I wearing all this heavy clothing? when I could be darting around the court like Suzanne Longland, right? Um, and in a time where tennis society was a closed club of elites and society in general was heavily restrictive and uh, oppressive towards women, she flew in the face of it all and she kind of held her ground. Uh, she travelled around the world to play tennis, um, which was something that would have been unheard of for a, uh, a, a tennis-playing woman at the time. Um, and this basically this book goes like right through her career from the earliest 20th century right up to the edge of world war ii um so leon have you got any thoughts on this before i dive in yeah like i'll um my initial thoughts on this book is that i really um think it's effective at portraying this this time in the sport and this time in Europe, where the majority of the of the story and uh, her career take place in between the two world wars, and you always feel the the shadow and um, the the cloud, especially uh, in regards to World War One, where uh, early on we're looking for tennis partners and wanting to play against men, so. Her father, who's a coach, wants her to play against men to up her game. And 
they're finding that there's less and less of them available, less willing and then less available because uh, because of the war effort in which uh, so many uh, men were, went to war and died during World War One. But then it also shows how, without being like preachy or, I don't know, saccharine anyway, it really uh, demonstrates the societal confines uh, within there and, and just the ridiculous conservative ideas of sport and just things like the costume, how they, they, they were forced to wear corsets while playing tennis and just uh, such a rigid and very... And a very like constrictive like ideas of the sport and like expression in the sport, and uh, I like that they do like a really interesting thing with the color palette, where it's mostly like blues, uh, reds, these warm reds, and these like uh, I'm missing. What, I want I want to say like warm blues, even though that makes no sense. Where it's like it's not quite cold. But it's like it's a nice sort of um, contrast, like this, this kind of like a nostalgic feel to it for the use of color, and I guess that makes sense with the framing device and this being like a story that we're yeah kind yeah kind of being told, even though we don't have really have a direct like voiceover. Do you know what it's got? Like it's like old photography, but not sepia or black and white. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you used the, yeah. the, the grayscale and you like decided I'm going to pick two emotive colours. And it, it, it really, really works. I think that the, uh, the tennis games themselves, the way they're presented, it's quite, there's like quite a lot of clarity to it. And like for me, I am a, a tennis fan anyway. Uh, but I feel like for people who don't give a crap about tennis, have no idea about tennis, whatever, it'd still be quite an inviting book that doesn't really get bogged down too much in the minutiae of the technical game. Yeah. Uh, one one thing that I think like would elevate it a bit, I, I think like some of the games, especially the, more of the high stakes ones, it would have been like uh, cooler to have, like not quite like a sports manga feel, but a bit more... Uh, intense dynamism but what's here is is quite like i say quite fun and quite legible and i yeah. think that the um i think the i think the the atmosphere and the mood is is portrayed really well just mm. with the, the things like um like you'll have like emotions on characters not just presented through how their their facial expression but also because they'll be like suddenly they're monochrome and you, you could, no, no words are said, but you can feel like this is a, there's an uncomfortableness here, there's a anger here, there's a, there's um, sadness here, and it's done really well. I I feel like the um, the ten because I'm I'm in camp um, doesn't know anything about tennis, but loves comics, <laughs> so I don't. It's not that I don't care about tennis. It's just that tennis doesn't even register for me in a way that like, I'm not much of, um, I don't sit and watch sport in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
I this was this was interesting for me to learn about because I had never heard of this this woman before. I read this comic. I don't know if you'd heard anything about her at all, have you, Suzanne? Uh, yeah, de- definitely because because uh, she was such a trendsetter in the sport. And, and like, you, the thing is, yeah. th- these days, and I guess it, for me, over the last twenty years or so, you don't hear too much about the open, uh, the pre-open era, um, unless it's like about people breaking records. And obviously, during my tenure watching, we had Serena Williams who was breaking loads of records. But like the thing I like know of. Uh, Suzanne is obviously being a trendsetter and, and pushing against the uh, the norms of the time, but also uh, like just sheer dominance on the court. Like I think in her career, she had like seven or eight losses, which is wild, <laughs> absolutely wild. Like she was just so do- dominant when uh, um, on the court and. Uh, like I, I just knew like bits and pieces like that, but uh, I didn't really. I never even dump, jumped into the like Wikipedia to get like a deeper issue. It was just like you know the names that you hear from time to time. Is like yeah, that person was a legend like a, a, yeah, a hundred yeah. years ago. Yeah. No, I, I see. I I knew squat about squat when I opened this book, <laughs> and I, I this is why the beginning of the book it has a primer on the rules of tennis and the scoring. That was really useful for me. <laughs> i know very little about tennis Uh, you cannot i cannot um i don't think it's possible to understate what i know like the the, how very how little i know about tennis but yeah um i i enjoyed it start to finish and um i i guess now i have a interest in tennis to a degree because I find this character interesting, Suzanne Longland. Um, and I, I really enjoyed this book. And I really thought, for me, when I compare this to sports manga, I actually thought that the, the way that they handled the game, the in-game sections, like the high-stakes games and things, I thought they handled it quite well and quite nicely. Um, it's, um, it's done in a way that it's appropriate for the tone of the book and the way, way the story is being told. Like, I don't think I would have wanted it to be any more dynamic because if it were, I think it would have detracted from the rest of it. And and when you think about what sports manga is, the focus is the sport. Yeah, yeah. But if if you remember, like I was saying, I don't want it to be uh, sports manga. But but like I feel that, especially in like the battle of the century, I feel like... Like I, I I like how it, how it's presented, and I think it's really cool, and yeah. it's quite like a, a montagey sort of time aspect to it. But I do feel like there are there is some way like where you can, uh, I don't know, like th- there is a way to be a bit more dynamic without it being like a character jumping in the air and, and firing ten thousand balls down on the other court. I think I think there's like a middle ground there that like yeah yeah like, like basically like action. There is a yeah. mi- mi- uh, so I'm not I'm not expecting like a biography to like freeze and suddenly like there's like hyper uh, like uh, visceral action, but there I think there is a way I think like sometimes it's, there's a little bit of a uh, like some of the, the stakes for what they would be in that situation are a bit like a little bit like a tiny bit restrained from what you'd expect yeah. in that thing, but like. This yeah. is obviously coming from someone who, like, watches these games and stuff. So it's like mm. I think it's not a thing that's like a, a mega negative for me. But if I was to like 
say something that I think like eh, like would, would would be a value add would be that. But for what's there, I, I quite enjoyed how it's presented and it is very yeah. like character focused. Yeah, I think I prefer it. Um, I like it this way because I'm 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 reading this book from a slightly different angle to you. Um, with my non-existent knowledge of tennis so but yeah um it is it is great and i like 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 you were mentioning about the um the the, the air of like the colors and the way the colors are used and the way that the uh in fact some of the way that the panels are framed and things it, it is like a collection of photographs but it's like um and it, it feels like old photography when i'm looking at it um it has that kind of framing about it and and it just it just gives that off when i when i when i look at the pages um it's yeah so she that this this uh this this character this woman suzanne langland she um suzanne longland she um she cut a path for other women to follow in the sport against the press and against her father's projected ambition and against societal rules and norms um, and this book, it's a, it's a bittersweet tale, um, you know, from a cruel and unusual training and treatment by her parents and treatment by the press and all her personal battles with illness and everything else. And, and in, in trying to find herself amongst these expectations and predictions of others. Um, and it's just opposed with the celebration of her massive achievements and legacy. And I think the book kind of nails that really well. And um, I think Tom Humberston does a wonderful job of capturing her trials and struggles with this really expressive graphic style that, like I said, like it comes across like photo stills, uh, panel to panel, and it actually looks really spot on for the story it's telling. And, and this whole keeping it monochrome thing, cause it's, it's monochromatic. It's, it's either single blue, single red. I mean, sometimes the, it, 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 you get both colors on the same page or in the same panel, but it's, it's more or less, um, like it, it framed in in single coloring in shades or, or various shades of a single color which is really cool um it's uh it's rendered entirely it's rendered entirely in shades of red and blue and and everything in between it's it's hot and cold uh calm and frantic and the way the color palette is used for drawing attention to key moments and highlighting the significance of people or objects against the background uh, or for fast movements and intense atmosphere and, and for displaying isolation and anxiety and pressure. It's actually really, really good for that. Um, it's a really, really interesting tool and an interesting way to do it and a really simple way of doing it, actually, that actually works really well for the story and, and actually kind of draws you in and lets you feel through the pages and be in the moment, like panel to panel. Emotionally, you can be in there and it's like really engrossing and compelling in that way because it, it draws you in with the way that it uses that color palette um and it, it focuses your attention in specific places where your attention needs to be um there's a specific panel where um suzanne's father is watching tennis and the whole crowd's blue apart from him he's red because that's where you need to be that's the person you need to be paying attention to um and then um everything's blue apart from the action in certain places uh and and everything's blue apart from or, or everything's red apart from what you need to be focused on because there's certain pages where it, it's useful for making things stand out and for um 
for having for making things have that impact that they need to have um and there is some really interesting pages and interesting layouts here and uh there's some actually very uh, as much as i was saying it's like for photographic stills there's actually some very dynamic pages as well there's a page uh the beginning of the little sorceress chapter uh, with the tennis ball and the the uh the handkerchief mm. and the coin like that that's brilliant i love that part and i like the match um, versus i think it's a semi-final match against uh mccain where like yeah. one of them's in blue one of them's in red like that and they're sort of overlapping as they take their yeah. shots that stuff's really yeah. cool yeah but it's it's um it's incredible stuff and uh, it's a really really engrossing biography it tells an incredibly story with an incredible story with real passion and power and i feel that it's 100 percent worth your time and worth picking up and checking out uh, even if you know nothing about tennis like me it's, it's still worth it because it's a great story um it's the kind of thing where you, if you enjoy learning about historical figures then this is this is the kind of book for you um and, and, that it, is, and, it, oh. and I'd say even like without that, I think that it's just really, uh, like, really, uh, I'd say like fun, but also like just an interesting uh, adventure, an interesting tale to like see, follow this person through their life and sort of navigate the, the highs and lows um, that come with this stuff, especially during the time period. I think that uh whether you care for biography or 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 not or, or tennis or not it it's it's a definite must read i'd say like i th i think it's a net positive reading this book yeah i'm i was going to say i'm all for the use of uh sequential art and comics for telling um biographical stories um because i think it has way more impact than uh prose in, in that cut, in that sense. And I, I, I think it's, 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 um, it, it tells a story. It's, it's more impact and it's more engrossing. And I think it's more, um, enriching for a story to be told this way, especially a biographical tale. I, I'm, I, I think comics should be used for, for this kind. I'm all for comics being used in this more. And I love biographical comics and biographical stories told via comics. Um, I think it's a fantastic use of the medium. Uh, and I just wanted to say that this is a really good example of that. Um, and um, yeah, so that's currently on sale now. So that was published on the 1st of September um, and on the 8th of September in North America. So uh, if you pick it up in the UK, it is going to cost you £15.99. In America, that's $20.95. Uh, that is published by Avery Hill, and uh, that is the work of Tom Humberson. And that is Suzanne, the Jazz Age Goddess of Tennis. Um, so I really recommend checking that out. We've got a gallery of some pages on the um, the Ace Comicals website. If you go to the uh, the page for this podcast, for this episode, the notes page, um, there's a gallery of pages for it. So you can go and check it out and see if it uh, piques your interest that way. Um, next book on the list is another one that we were given by Avery Hill for a uh, review. And this one now, um, this one's not out until the 27th of October, no, 20th of October in the UK, 27th of October in the US. Um, and this is a book called Senan. 
Now, this is um, an allegorical fantasy sci-fi story that kind of deconstructs the world that we live in. It holds up a mirror and it forces us to think about um, things like the exploitation of developing nations in service of the West, um, a little bit of the legacy of colonialism in there, um, scars and scars and the irreversible damage our consumer society is inflicting upon our world and how we are kept in the dark away from these truths and how faith can also be used to exploit and subjugate um exploitation of labor is it's jam-packed with this stuff it's so dense with um all these truths that are kept from us as children and even to an extent as adults we kind of stay blind to it all in a way or some of us choose to stay blind to it all and it's just um it's like it's got shades of stuff about modern slavery it's consumption of developing nations in service of the west uh in 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 this is what i'm getting out of it anyway um and i believe that may be the intent uh but it's this is this is how i feel after reading it and this is uh this is what it says to me um and uh yes so if i read you the blurb because that's the easiest way to explain the story so, uh, Senan's life is mostly perfect, uh, spending her days tending the fields in her idyllic village and her evenings with her beloved family, all tucked into the crook of a green and beautiful valley. And if it wasn't for the massed figures descending from the hills with increasing regularity to take their harvested food to deliver to their gods, she'd have no worries at all. But when the demands for tribute strike closer to home, Senan is forced to flee the paradise of her valley and venture into the home of the gods to save her family and their way of life, only to discover that those we worship are not always what they seem, and the lives we lead are not always so simplistic after all. Senan uh, is the debut graphic novel from an exciting new British author, author and artist, Shanti Rai, and tells a timeless tale of adventure and the discoveries we make as we explore beyond the boundaries of our childhood into the uncertainty of the adult world. Um, so yeah, Leon, do you want to, have you got any thoughts uh, before I dig into some of the stuff I've got written down here in front of me or more of the stuff I've got written down here in front of me? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, first of all, I didn't realize this is not out for a while. So I'm going to uh, sort of change up my notes a little bit. Uh, so I don't, um, I don't want to, because usually I don't really spoil anything unless we're doing a deep dive anyway. But with this yeah. uh, not being out for a while, I don't really want to um, touch too much on some of the stuff that I think makes good reveals while reading it. And I think people should read this. But I think this is like, uh, it's like a great setup where you have uh, the titular character then um, as part of this agrarian society uh, just before a harvest. And I like how it kind of has this sort of classic uh, like hero's journey uh, to start off where you have this person in this like small area and they see the mountains or they see like the horizon and they wonder what's beyond the horizon and this is where, is where in a disney uh, animation they would have their i want song where they go about town singing about like, i, I want to I want to leave the town and, and I want to see, have adventures. And I like how it's presented here where um, all of this sort of resentment and sort of rebellion uh, comes from just the suffocating nature of, of, of living here and 
the superstitious nature of of, of everyone in, in 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 her town, and how being like a, a slightly rebellious person even can put her at odds with like her friends and stuff. Like I like how that that setup is done. And then like like uh like all the stuff you you touched on, Greg, like I think there's so much like really interesting theming in here. But like focusing on on like the art uh I really like how it looks. Like I like this uh sort of non shaded like block colours type look where it's um it's a mix between like quite super vibrant like maroons and uh like verdant greens and stuff but then like mixed with like a sort of reddish uh like a light peach sky and uh buildings which uh run the gamut from like a a a warm yellow warm yellows across to uh various different shades of like lilacs uh, like i just like how uh like vibrant uh the town is and uh early on uh, there's there's like a, a festival uh like a harvest slash uh harvesty festival coming up and i like how when something goes to the market and you just have like uh just the, the these various different tones whether it be the food or like the uh the surroundings, the structures, or the people who are like a, a vast array of, uh, of 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 different uh, different shades and hues, and all of it looks great while like not being overbearing, uh, overbearing or like um, uh, harsh to look at. It all has like quite an inviting look to it, and it does set up this place as like a place that you could see the people living there. Uh, who are like fully bought into everything finding it to be an idyllic place and lifestyle and it's safe and like everybody you know there is everybody you know um and at the same time uh senin is more like me in the sense that i would get tired like of that after a while and want to know what's beyond and uh like i like how that contrast is put up where it's like the the people who are not standing are not portrayed to be like idiots or anything like that, but more a case of like this is what they know. And some people are like quite quite uh, a, a, a zealots, but then other people just like their society and like the people the like their lives there. And everybody like everybody likes the fact that they all provide for each other. And like I like how we have a turning point where we we, we meet Stenin's uh, family, we get a bit more, uh, like, history there, and, it, like, it's an interesting wrinkle which uh, complicates this thing beyond a teenager rebelling at their life, and I, I do love how that, that's set up, like, it's so... It's, like, organic and very um, real, like, it's, it's, it's grey, like, in contrast to... Uh, to all the colours that we see, it's quite a grey ideal where it's like nothing is completely perfect, nothing's completely nice and like bad things happen. But I think that is the correct sort of tier in, in this world to fully reveal uh, the, the the true sort of like horrors and like the whole horrific system that everything is part of. 
and like as you say as, as the story progresses we deal with different things like conspiracy and i think that there is like a, a very uh poignant idea of like uh separating the consumer from the labor that provides and sort of the abstraction of of where the stuff that we all have where it comes from and who's touched it to to, to get it to us yeah. and i like how that theming plays through the the different revelations we get as we go uh, go through and and the more yeah. We see, and, and obviously here it, it's played to a degree where it's not a polemic, and it's not a, uh, not even like just a slight allegory, but it in, it, it is like a, a well used thematic me- metaphor here, where mm. it, everything plays into the actual story, but it, the story yeah. doesn't stop to be like, hey, have you ever thought about how this relates to real life? But more, no. it's like it's, it's way more nuanced, and it's way more like yeah. as you're reading, you're like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like you can just see like the parallels between like uh, yeah. how it's presented here in the in this uh, quite dramatic tale, and how obviously it is it, it, in our our real life. And it did um, remind me of a movie that I watched um, earlier this year, and and again uh, a couple months ago, which was. Uh, nominated for an Oscar as well um, for Best Documentary. It's a uh, movie called Ascension, and it's basically an unnarrated documentary uh, in the style of films like Baraka and uh, Samsara and Koine Skwatsi, where, like, instead the camera just goes from place to place and we watch people interact. And we're... um, this movie specifically is about China and how all the stuff used in the West and how it's made in China. So a lot of time we'll be in a factory and we'll watch people construct stuff and put together different parts as they become a whole and then get shipped off to the West. And you just see that in various different industries and you see like the human toll and you see the the actual human faces and the uh, each of the different pair pairs of hands and the the blood sweat and tears that each person puts into a thing before it's delivered to us as a cheap good from from that was made in china and it cheap good sometimes i but like the stuff focused in, in the movie is is a variety of different things um yeah. that uh i think a lot of people even even if you are quite in tune with what's made where and how things are constructed there are a few things here which would give you like um mild surprise and the way it's presented that movie is that it's just matter of fact you we just for like an hour and a half we just zip around to to various different places in china and various either it's a factory or it's a, a place where like clothes are being made like it's just all all different places and it really adds a uh, a human uh like feel and face to how how these things because a lot of the stuff is felt like in the west especially is felt very faceless and i think a lot of the time you could convince people that uh a lot of the stuff that they're interacting with was made by a machine and put together by a machine and uh yeah. like people have abstracted it to that degree and like divorced from the movie it also uh, calls to the dissonance that uh people must have to um to consume meat 
where a lot of people hate to think of like abattoirs and uh, the uh, like the slaughterhouses that that turn turn a cow yeah. into the steak on your plate. Yeah. But like uh, it's a thing that like it's easy to not be like cognizant of that stuff. But like really, it it it's it's um it it's self defeating to to, we- to to not have an idea of that and. By having it be abstracted so much, it makes like a faceless yeah. thing where it's like it it it's always product and like yeah. if you ever go to visit like um, a farm or whatever, in in the same breath you could be like oh, I'm going to give that cow a name or that chicken a name, and then on the way home you could stop by Burger King or KFC and like have no mm. no thought about that and like. Uh, like I don't, I don't say that as as to be a preachy person because I I, I eat meat and I'm fully aware of all this stuff. But I feel like it, it the the industry works as it does because of like uh, like collective ignorance with with this stuff. And yeah, I think that that is a a solid theme uh, that is related to to this book. I'm I'm vegetarian, and that that was one of the. One of the things I, I thought about when I was reading this book was was kind of like the the dissonance that you said between you know how things are made and what we see as a packaged product on a shelf. Um, and without getting too into the reads about it, like the idea with meat with you know a, a living thing has gone into producing that, and you don't see the living thing like alive in the field or whatever or or you don't see that animal, you know, being an animal and, and having a, a, a feelings and a mind and everything else. You, all you're seeing is an, a, an abstraction of that to the point where it is literally like, it doesn't even look like it comes, it, it like in a way with, without knowing that it's meat, like it doesn't even look like anything to do with the whole anymore when you see it on the shelf. Um, especially when you're looking at like cuts in a foam tray with plastic covering, <laughs> you know, it makes, it makes, it, it looks nothing like, uh, it, it has nothing to do with, with the image you have in your mind of a, a, a cow or a chicken or whatever. Um, I mean, that's I mean, how you can get like that sort yeah. of judge, judgmental thing, which is often yeah. based in a, like a form of xenophobia where like people could be a, a, in like a Chinese market and see like rabbits hanging in the window and be like, oh, that's so awful and terrible. Well, at the same time, they've eaten lamb that day and tomorrow yeah. they're going to eat beef. Like uh, it, it is a thing where like, like I was saying, like it's, it's the abstraction that, that uh, works with how people interact with, with, with all of these things. And like, yeah. it's more palatable if there's not a, a connection between yeah. the thing but i think like if even like going back to like sort of hunter gatherer uh, stuff uh like hunter gatherer like uh tribes and people like there was a very real connection between the animal being killed and then being prepared and eaten where it's like that whole process um was a very uh like symbiotic one and very much so like this this animal has sacrificed itself or no, no this we've sacrificed this animal to to sustain ourselves it wasn't um, anything that was taken lightly at all 
No, it it, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like this thing wrapped in plastic that people like. Yeah. Uh, shove down their mouth and then in 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 another air uh complain about uh another type of animal being being eaten it wasn't like a silly thing like that it, there was a much more of connection between uh what you ate and uh and what what it started off as and i mean like wrapping that back around to like even products and stuff like uh, fast fashion and stuff like that like if yeah, if if they put the hours and the the names of the people who worked on the stuff, like I think, like we just have so much of a a, a different um, relationship with it. Even when it comes to like cheap knockoffs from China, which is obviously a big thing, especially on Amazon. Like if you saw all the names of the people who who touched the thing, you got to because I I do think a lot of people think that these things are pooped out of a machine and that. Yeah. If a human touched it, it was like to wrap the pack packaging on it. When often that's the me the mechanical part. But pe yeah. I think a lot of people think like semiconductors and stuff like all the way that all that stuff, like no human hand touches it, and it's just a bunch of robots. That's and like even cars. I think people think that human hands never touch this stuff. And like I, I feel like if there was just if people like saw more. Well, what went into uh, the stuff? I think there'd be less sort of e-waste, even mm. just as a start. Yeah. Um, it, it makes me think of... Um, I don't know if you ever read anything about this. I might even be remembering this incorrectly. This might be like some kind of like weird thing I've made up. But um, the Apple factories in China, I remember hearing something about them having nets around the windows at the upper floors. Uh, Foxcom, yeah, yeah, I believe that's yeah. true. Suicide nets, so if you jump out of the window, you don't die. Yeah, I believe that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah, so so weird and so so depressing and horrible to think about. Like, I need to watch this film that you're talking about because I've not seen Ascension. Oh, uh, highly recommend. Highly yeah, I need recommend. I need to watch it, and then afterwards, I need to have like several palate cleansers lined up because it's the kind yeah, of thing yeah. that will send me off the deep end. But the thing is, it's <laughs> not it, it's not even presented uh, in a sort of depressing way. Like, I I think that is quite an in, in, enriching movie, even though yeah. it's like uh, like stark reality. But it, yeah. it, it, it's not like it's so like same movie like the movies that I was talking about, like Samsara or like. Uh, Barack or something like that, I would give like minor trigger warnings with those movies. Even though nothing super bad happens to them, they they are just matter of fact life. And it, they, the, at parts they're like National Geographic, like here's the world in HD. And another bit is like, man, look at that like, just pile of rubbish that is like, uh, I don't know, 30 foot high. And there's just a kid sat on it. And it's like, it, that, that movie was made in, in the early 90s. But like that, that stuff like that will like, shoot straight for you and then the next scene will be like um oh you're seeing like uh, a tribe in central africa that you don't often get to see and you're you're seeing like the celebration stuff like that and it's like the mix of it is quite good there where whereas like ascension is less sort of like i think it's more implicit and that's yeah. the thing like if if there's a lot of like really implicit stuff there but yeah i'd highly recommend that as yeah. i would uh and recommend this book and we're talking about all of this because we read Senan. <laughs> and Senan has similar vibes. Um, and I, I really love this book for its bright and bold style. And I like that it revels in this abstract and colourful style. And it feels like it has kind of a... Um, with its messages as well, it's kind of got like a, a punk edge to it. 
with the way that it's presented and then with the things that it's 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 making you think about um and uh it's like yeah it's just basically this horrible and uncompromising truth about Senon's life and Senon's faith and her whole childhood is unraveled before her eyes and her perception completely upended it's emotionally gut-wrenching in places and it, as she comes to face the truth head on with bravery and resolve it's also quite rousing yeah and um, i think i think Senon is a is a really fun protagonist because yeah. uh throughout the story she's someone who uh, like grows and like learns more and more and is exposed to more and more and it's all, all sort of done realistically where she has like questions because she is encountering stuff that is so out of the realm of her understanding yeah uh at parts of it she seems like more childlike when interacting with these things and then as, as she's quite a um a proactive like doer like she'll take on that stuff and then proceed to like the next part, which is like doing something about it. Uh, and and I like that she's not even in uh, in in an arena where she could be counted as like fish out of water to a degree. She's not silly. She's not uh, naive. I mean, she's naive in terms of someone who is like younger and also is sheltered. But she's not naive in terms of making really stupid decisions. And and I think that is refreshing to see in in uh, a protagonist like this where you're on board with them, but you're also watching them grow. Like mm. she doesn't come, she's not fully formed when we first meet her, but as we like follow her journey and learn more about her life and herself and her resolve, uh, she becomes more of a complete person. Mm. Um, there is some really beautiful work here on some of the pages. It really does get across the feeling of being lost and confused, um, especially page 46 um anxiety and fear and the lack of understanding and the lack of a place it's all it's all there in that page without spoiling too much um there's another page where um the bottle panel is images laid over a backdrop of whispering faces and it puts you right in the crowd and actually become immersed in the ambient sound and the fear um greeting the words of the chief that is in the panels that are overlaid um and, you know, these small panels that are through throughout the book that display sort of like small transient moments that quicken the pace and set the mood and the tone for the next panels in sequence. And they inform what comes next and they put you in the moment. Clearly, it, it gives you that that kind of feeling that you're there noticing all these little things as well as because some sometimes stories are told in uh, sequential art in comics where you will get it go panel to panel to panel. Um, and it's very fairly um, linear in that way, and it tells a story panel to panel, and it shows an action sequence. It shows a sequence of events and a sequence of movements in in space and time. But then, like what this does as well, what what some some books do, and what what Senon is a great example of, is it has these smaller panels um, where we're going panel to panel in sequence and we're seeing a, a conversation take place. But then there's all there's these smaller panels inlaid with, with small things like raindrops falling on hands, um, people picking pips out of an apple, that kind of thing. And it just, it kind of just puts you in the moment a little more because you're getting all these little tiny, um, transient moments that, 
when we're having a conversation face to face, if we see someone fidgeting or fiddling, we take it for granted. We don't notice these things, but but having them laid out before us, it kind of puts you in there a little bit more and kind of gives you the the puts you in the headspace and puts you in in the book a little bit more and kind of helps with the immersion. I think. Um, and yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, and like, there's an extra uh, like wrinkle there that I think like uh, that I picked up on that was quite nice. Which is um, often when you get like stories like this, which uh, uh, especially I, I guess in my sort of ignorant, limited uh, like experience with this stuff, is that often when you get these these cool uh, like stories, which are like you know speculative, speculative fiction, but like it's uh, sort of, it's like a different world, it's like fantasy based or whatever. It's always quite. Um, it's often American, uh, just like the language used and stuff like that. But there's so much little like Britishisms. Yeah, like, yeah. That like Very British. Yeah, that was uh, really yeah. like uh, nice picking up on, which is just like. I mean, that's neither here or there, but there's, there's something like nice and sort of fresh about it. Yeah, and obviously, I know there's there's like. There's, like uh, dozens and millions of like speculative fiction made by like British authors and stuff like that. But like, I'm talking more about like the building blocks of this stuff and how it like comes through in language. Mm -hmm. And I, I like how that stuff presents itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I just, everything about it is just uh, spot on for me. I have to agree. Um, yeah, so that is Senan, uh, a beautiful book. Um, very dense with uh, with theming and uh, really does put things into perspective for for a lot of people. I think it'll be an eye opener for a lot of people to read this actually. But it's also it's not a preachy book, and it's a very yeah. easy read. Yeah, it's not preachy; it's an easy read, and I think that's what makes it um, so good at doing what it does. Yeah, it makes it really effective. Yeah, and I think I think that's what gives it, in my mind, it's punk edge because it's what brings it to everyone and makes it for everyone. Um, yeah, no gods, no masters, no kings, or <laughs> jesters. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, so that's Senan, uh, and that is um, going to be published on the twentieth of October, twenty twenty-two. Entirely the work of Shanti Rai, published by Avery Hill. Uh, Eleven pounds ninety nine in the UK, fourteen dollars ninety five in the US, where it will be published on the twenty seventh of October. So it looks fantastic. Yeah. So um, moving on from there, something that I picked up that you've read as well, Leon. Uh, this is this is like a very 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 Greg book. Um, <laughs> and this is Shock Shop, and this is a a uh, cool little horror anthology from Dark Horse Comics. It is a flip comic. Which means it has uh, each issue has two covers. Um, I have the digital version. I do not have the physical version. The digital version still has two covers. Um, so I mean, like we all know how much I love horror anthologies, and this is absolutely no exception to that rule. I, I just wish I had more pages <laughs> because, like, the setup for both of these stories and, and what we're getting is fantastic. But I just hate that it's so abrupt. Um, and. Now I've got to wait until October for the next bit, which is fine. But still, <laughs> it needs more pages. Um, I mean, 
yeah, so I'm going to read you the blurb from the Dark Horse website. So, um, Cullen Bunn, Harrow County, and uh, Danny Luckett, uh, Regression. Uh, Harrow County, a favourite of this cast. We've talked about it before, I believe. Or I have talked about it before, I think, on several Halloween... A couple, one of the Halloween episodes. Um, and uh, Lala Lee's of the last book you'll ever read, which uh, we talked about as well, didn't we, Leon? Yeah. The one about the the one about the uh, the author on the book tour where the book's turning people into animals. Oh yes, 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 yes. I think that's the right one. I hope that's the right one. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like the that, right but... one. Yeah. Um and uh, anyway, it, I've read so many comics since then, but it is a fantastic comic. <laughs> um it, they present in they present a brand new horror anthology, uh, a flip comic taking place in a haunted comic book shop with a twisted retailer Build with uh, tales of terror, sure to leave you with the lights on. Um, so there's two stories uh, in Familiars, which is the first story after it. Uh, no, Familiars is the second story in the book, so we'll go in order. So in the first story in the book, which is called uh, Something in the Woods, uh, in the, something, in, in, something in the Woods in the Dark, a husband and wife going through a tough time on a camping trip with a few friends. As they trek further into the forest, they realize that they are being stalked. Um, Something in the woods starts killing the camper and uh, it may have ties to the campers more than any of them realize. And in the second story, uh, after a painful divorce, Trevor rents a house and tries to rebuild his life. Soon he discovers the house appears to be haunted by more than one spirit and the creatures begin feeding on Trevor's feelings of fear, anger and guilt. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, like. The first thing to note about this is the clear, um, like, I mean, we know how much I love horror anthologies, like, and, and this is no exception to that rule. And I'm sure the Loft Dweller agrees. Um, I mean, I just wish it had more pages. Um, and what I love most about this is it's clear reverence for the format, like the old anthology horror books with their hosts. Um, a supernatural compare of sorts uh, there to introduce the stories and to be kind of like the the link to the real world like um, I, I love that we like the horror hosting here I love the horror hosting I think it's really nice to see it in such a cool form I like seeing it presented I like I like seeing the tradition of the horror host I think I think it's a fun thing a really fun thing to, to do and I think it's a fun thing to have um as an introduction to stories, it, it keeps things grounded and, and, um, keeps the, the kind of like the strangeness of it there and everything else. And it kind of grounds you in the kind of reality of the ridiculousness of it, ridiculousness of some of it, which is really cool. Um, I do love me the, uh, the bombastic hammy horror host. Yes. Um, and in, in, in the form in this book of Desdemona Nimue, Nimue Moreau, um, who is the proprietor of the Shock Shop, a fiendish supernatural comic shop. Uh, the setup here is that we are invited into the store and then uh, we come across these stories as we peruse the shelves or as we take recommendations from Desdemona herself. So, like, I think the idea is that she invites you into the shop and goes, oh, hey, yeah, check this out. And then the story starts. Is the vibe, it, 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 this is what I'm getting from it, and this is the vibe I get, and this is, this is what um, we are presented with. Um, would love to see more Desdemona. Um, I think a book about Desdemona herself would be fun. 
but I like Desdemona as the host of this. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting horror stories. It's a great little anthology. It's a cool format. Um, and it's, it's something that speaks to me on a fan and uh, as a fan of the, the genre, as a fan of horror comics and a fan of, uh, vintage horror comics and things as well. It's something that speaks to me on that level very much. Um, and I, I think there are some brilliant ideas here. Um, I love that this, the, the, the setup emulates the, the trip to the LCS. It's like emulates the vibe and the trip of going into your local comic shop and being offered, being having a conversation with the person behind the counter that you have this kind of like once a week relationship with who, who <laughs> gives you, you know, like uh, comics, you, saves your comics for you when you have a standing order and you have a pull list. Um, Dude, if Desdemona ran your LCS, you'd never read another comic online ever in your life. <laughs> <laughs> you would always, always be in the store. If it was digital only, you'd read it in the store. You'd be the yeah. dude hanging out in the store constantly. Yeah. I think, I think the Loft Dweller would probably have a job at that store. <laughs> <laughs> He'd want a job at that store anyway. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, it just sort of emulates the, the LCS trip and feel and the artwork's great and there's some brilliant ideas there and some incredible horror designs. Uh, there's some cool premises for short horror stories and I think, like, horror has this unique quality that makes it especially adaptable to shorter comic stories. Like, short shocks that build quick and deliver and the mm. more disorientating it is, the better. And I think that works very well for the anthology format and I think it worked here. Um, so... Like Ari, my complaints at the start about how there aren't enough pages. I think it works here with the way that the stories spilled up and then wait, what? Oh, next one. Like you get a chance to read like four or five pages of it before Desdemona kind of like looks over the page at you and goes, so you're going to buy it? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like that's how I imagine it happening in my mind. Um, but yeah, like... Um, it's one to watch and I'll totally be picking up uh, future issues and it is perfect for this time of year. Um, and that is um, The Shock Shop, which is the work of Cullen Byrne, Danny Luckett, uh, Nate Piakos of Blambot is your letterer there. Um, some covers by Fabio Moon and uh, Baldemar Rivias. Um, I'm going to check if there's any credits I've missed because yeah, because the second two part here, and I feel has, like uh, I might have missed a name. Yeah, Layla uh, Lays. Layla Lees, yeah, is yeah. the artist on part two. Um, cover artist on on part two as well as Layla Lees. Um, Francesco Francovilla did a cover as well. Um, yeah. So Leon, do you have any thoughts on that about anything that um, any anything that I've neglected to mention, or yeah. do you have anything you want to say? Yeah, just to build on what you said, like it's funny when I first read this book and we came across Desdemona, I was like, "Is this the Loft Dweller's wife?" Like, like just super similar vibes. Uh, they get on pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I think and I think I think the Loft Dweller should apply for a job at that store. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, I really like I really like the design of uh, Desdemona. Like, really cool. Uh, like uh, character design. I like the the top hat and the, like the boots and just the uh, extravagant jacket and um, ringleadery. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And it, it has like a really um like fun energy. Um like you said, uh very loft very loft dweller adjacent. Yeah. Um and yeah, I, I like um see look going into this, and we were talking about this uh before uh car before recording, um that like going into it, I was expecting a more sort of ice cream man anthology where it's like one story per issue. So like I was super surprised when I was like halfway through and the first story is like to be continued. I was like, huh? <laughs> Cause I was thinking, how are they gonna wrap this up? And I was like, huh? Um but like I really like um the setup for uh, something in the woods in the dark. Uh, and I think that uh Danny Luckett's uh facial expressions are so good and like it's just a mix of like uh like lines facial lines and shadows uh like characters are literally saying nothing at times and like i can fully read their emotion fully read their emotion and uh I, I, it's like it's almost uncanny it's like you know when you're watching like um an anime series and yeah. then you watch the movie of the anime series like so going from like Evangelion to like end of Evangelion and, and like they've upped the budget so suddenly everyone's eyes are more than just like two colours in the, and like and the eyes almost look uncanny because suddenly it's like whoa all, all these characters that I've, I've been watching for 26 episodes suddenly have like big watery eyes that are drawing me in and it, like this has those eyes where there's so much like unsaid pain or like uh, lack of trust or just like suspicion or stuff sort of like burning in the soul. Like it's really well done. And you just have this like, uh, like crew of like camping, uh, like friends together and, uh, all of their, like, uh, like it feels the way it's written feels quite realistic. Like in how people are reacting, how people are talking and they're different. Um, temperaments and how they react to each other and you've got people who are a bit more uh a bit more mouthy a bit more cheeky with what they're saying who uh who need to be told to like quiet down or shut up and then you've got people who are like generally concerned for their friends and other people are like yeah this was a bad idea and all of that du- stuff is done really well and um feels very natural which makes it a very good like setup for for like the uh the horrors to be um unfolded uh but yeah, I think it's a really good setup, and uh, so I was not expecting it to like uh, end where it, where it did. But like, I think it's um, it's definitely a good hook to get to get you back, and then I guess you get the benefit of getting like uh, two stories for the price of one. And um, and then I, I like how much of a contrast uh, familiars is, uh, where where the art is uh, completely different, and. The setting is completely different, and um, your it has sort of that, and not really, kind of not really Stephen Kingish, but you know what I'm saying, where you like it feels like you're in, either New England or the Midwest or something, and you're in this yeah. like new house, yeah. and the kids come over, and it's like the beginning of it's it's got total New England vibes. Yeah, it's got the beginning of like what could be either like really cool stuff happening in the house for for a good reason or really cool stuff happening for a bad reason um and i do like how uh the build for that is is yeah. is quite slow when we get mm. to spend this uh this dad uh 
having having fun with with his his kids who've come over to stay, and uh, more and more like we sort of like and I get get a bit more of the the horrors or more so the supernatural beneath everything, and I like how how that is uh, built up, and then that ends in a similar way as like just as like uh, she's about is hitting the fan or. But it's way more um, uh, foreboding, and yeah. uh, then it being an intense situation, like how the first uh, first comic ends. That like it is a good setup, and I, I do think that uh, the story's difference does complement them. And um, yeah, yeah, it, it does. Like you're saying, that vibe of like being in uh, a co- uh, your, your local comic book shop and uh, sort of dipping your toe in and checking out some stuff. There's never been a time, unless you were like a complete uh, douchebag chancer. There's never a thing where you were reading a whole book in a shop. Like no, you'd always no. see like uh, like bits. You'd read like you get a good hook, and then it'd be like uh, buy this thing or like you never know what happens ever again. Like you leave the shop and you never find out until like maybe years later. So I do yeah. like how it it does have that sort of organic, like natural feel, and yeah. it does feel like. From a time gone by, from a more of a, more analog time, mm. um, and I, yeah, I do like that deal. Whether it's like silly nostalgia on my part, or it's just like really effective um, atmosphere building, um, it, it works for me, and I think it's uh, quite effective. I just yeah. uh, uh, like I, I think I'd be served pretty well with like I don't know, like one story per issue. But then, so seeing where these stories go, if there's like multiple parts of them being presented this way then it, it, it might uh lead to this being the best way for them to be delivered so um i'm always pretty open to, yeah. to seeing what seeing what's done without without being able to see the, the whole picture yet i'm i'm uh interested to see like um if if structuring it this way was for the best and uh, mm. what 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 um and how that informs telling the story as 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 opposed to if it was done as a, a collection of one shots from issue to issue, so um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, like, I, you'll see how it goes. I like I like the continuing the continuing story thing. Um, I'm I'm on board with that. I I love uh, the way the way that the first one ends, like the the creature. It's incredible, and then in the uh, in the second one as well, like that that final page is just so so excellent. Um, like the hook, the hook is there even if it is short and abrupt, and I I really do enjoy it. Um, and I just I need more, <laughs> and I can't wait for the next one. So yeah, uh, that is um, Shock Shop, uh, and that is uh, Dark Horse, and uh, fully recommend picking that up if you like your horror anthologies and you want to enjoy something. Um. With with a bit of nostalgia about it, I guess. Um, it, it really does have that feel. Final book of the day, then. So, um, Leon, how does the music of the night go from Phantom of the Opera? Can you remember, like, the vague tune? Don't ask me for music, sir. <laughs> My onomatopoeia thing is just broken compared to everyone else's. Is it something like, do, 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 do? Is that right? That's not the bit that comes to mind for me, yeah. So, 
because uh, because I'm just basically we're we're going to be talking about um, Detective Comics 1062 and 1063. Um, but I think and, uh, my mind goes to like organs. Yeah, but I'm just thinking of the music of the night because the yeah, lyrics, I, I can I can the lyrics stick in my head more than the actual song. Um, <laughs> and the lyrics fit very well with what we're about to talk about because it's Batman and it's operatic Batman and. Um, yeah. Um, it just, it just, I, I don't know. It's, just, it's something that's been in my head all day and I should have listened to it before the cast, to be honest, then I'd be able to tell you, but I can't remember if I, I think, I feel like I'm right. Something like that anyway. Um, but yeah, um, this is some of the. This is Ram V's tenure on Detective Comics, basically. So uh, Ram V, who we have talked about numerous books by Ram V on this cast, um, has been given the reins of a main Batman book. And it's incredible. Um, it's some of the best Batman I've read in a long time. It's dark. It's operatic. It casts a deep shadow in the Gotham Midnight Mist. And this is how I like my Batman. Um and uh, in this story, Gotham appears to be at the mercy of literal demons. So the blurb from the DC website. Something is terribly wrong with Batman, no matter what te the tests Bruce takes, nor the numbers he counts. The greatest detective in the world can't pin down the source of this creeping dread of his own inner demons and a looming mortality. Meanwhile, real demons roam the shadows as an ancient melody haunts the Gotham night. Here now the curtains rise and the eerie tune streams in. Who is human? Who is demon? Who is to tell? As Batman investigates the songs and the demons of Gotham, he's forced to confront the oldest question, whether there has been a demon with him all along. And if so, what does it want and why isn't it taken over yet? The Batman of Gotham is here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it explores Gotham for what it really is. Permanent shadow in a dramatic and literal sense. Um, it's a deconstruction of masks and dramatics and the mystery, and uh, it is full of dissonant music. Like Gotham is the stage, and we are in the front row of this hellish opera unfurling before us, and and that's what that's what this team here have managed to build. Um, there's tendrils in it that reach parts of your brain, or the very premise and notion of Batman and Gotham in uh, like and the dark detective that you even forgot existed. Like it, it brings the adumbral qualities and the twisted masquerade of the Batman mythos to the fore and explores them more deeply. And in a way that I don't think any other comic I've read has, has managed to do before this, um, in, in, in a pure way, like obviously, obviously Batman books before this and Batman stories before this have, have explored these themes, but nothing has done it in such a pure way as this, where this is basically just taking the mask and the, the the masquerade of it all the, the dark twisted strange masquerade of it all and, and just laying that out bare for people to to kind of like consider um and um yeah i i love that we're getting a very deep look at this facet oh and barbatos um did you read dark city yet leon dark city dark night dark city batman uh... So I know you bought it. I don't know if you read it yet. This was when I was reading a bunch of Batman comics, wasn't it? Yes. 
Uh, no, I, I, I don't think I got around to it because some, uh, as usual in life, something else got in the way. Oh, you really need to. Yeah, okay. I know. Yeah. Um, Barbatos, uh, his first appearance was in Batman 452, uh, August of 1990, um, which was, um, Dark Knight, Dark City. Oh, the beginning of Dark Knight, Dark City. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's this whole thing that Batman has wrestled with, uh, in several storylines, uh, a couple of recent storylines as well, like the, um, the Dark Knight's, um, metal stuff. Um, the fact that Barbatos has been pulling his strings all along and Barbatos gave him the idea to become Batman, um, that he is at the mercy of this demon. Um... And it's an interesting idea, and I do like the supernatural bent to it all. Um, and I am interested to see where this this book takes it, where Ram takes it, um, and this team, uh, this creative team that are working on Detective Comics now take it. Um, how about you, Leon? Yeah, I think this has... An, quite an auspicious start. It's very moody and internal. Uh, Gotham is rendered uh, in this really, like you say, operatic and dramatic style. I really like the uh, use of sort of like light purple sky, and you have the classic like lightning strikes and like uh, bell uh, clock towers and a. Um, like gargoyles or like you know the the adornments on the top of these buildings it has all that classic uh like massive caped batman stuff and uh and it's married quickly with all the modern stuff like all, all the gadgets and or or the uh the things that batman has to deal with and it it gives you the classic sort of batman uh voiceover monologue as he's uh talking to himself about like uh knowing that there are alarms there but tripping them on purpose so that he can scare scare the the foes that he's uh come up to him because that them knowing he's coming means that they're scared and fear leads to mistakes and all that all that stuff is mm. is great and it's um you get very sort of striking classical like good bat meaty batman um panels and like uh, poses and uh yeah it's it's all very inviting um but like immediately something is off and something is weird and something's not quite the same and as other people in the in the batman circle come in and out of the book and interact it becomes more and more stark that uh something is up like something's changed and like Bruce is wondering and isn't quite sure what, what the deal is. Um, but there is like super foreboding. There's something like just over the horizon or is it here already? And I, I like how that set up and all the stuff to do with like the, um, uh, the, uh, the organs, like all, all that stuff where you don't, fully at least for me where i am like have a full idea of what like the plan is and, and all the stuff 
all I know is like it involves Ar- uh, the land of Arkham Asylum and something as something's up, something's something is not as it should be, and uh, Bat- Batman is is like figuratively and literally literally in the dark, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a great Batman tale. Um, and yeah, like. Like I was saying, um, get on Dark Knight, Dark City, Batman Volume One, Four, Five, Two. Um, y- y- you'll enjoy it. <laughs> I, I think mean, I've I told did, you before I, that you'll enjoy it. I mean, I did buy it. <laughs> we've talked about it. We've talked about it on the cast before. I'm sure I've talked about it on the cast before. Yeah, but yeah, but, I mean, this is this is something. I mean, I'm really interested to see where this run goes. We're only two issues deep right now, and it's incredible so far. And yeah. I, I want to see more. That's actually the worst part of this whole thing because you were super mm. excited about this and had it on the docket. So I was like, yeah, I'll check this out. And uh, I thought, like, what is it? Like this weird two-parter thing? And then I got to the end of issue two and it's like, no, this is there's way more to come. I was like, no, Greg, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> but, like, but like, so I'm, I, I will wait and, and, and for it, like the majority to come out. Oh, uh... But, nearly. I, I, I nearly had you. No, I nearly I, had you. I, I can't do a, a <laughs> monthly capes book. But like, I'm really looking forward to when this is out in like trade form or whatever. Because it's like, yeah. it looks great. Um, the the story, the dialogue, like all, all the wording is, uh, it's it's grand. It, it's epic. Uh, but on a on a way that doesn't have you rolling your eyes. Like it all feels very true to the. The atmosphere and the yeah. sort of milieu that is uh, being built up page by page, um, and it's funny because it, it's it's not this like the Barbatus stuff is is and it, it has this sort of nineties Batman feel if you know what I mean like mm. the stuff adjacent to what we were reading for like Nightfall and all that like it feels it feels like this could be could have been the storyline that happened the year after Nightfall or something like that like yeah. it has that type of feel to it which yeah. is uh is a full positive uh, in my book yeah so the storyline itself is called Gotham Nocturne Overture and uh, I am incredibly enamored by it because it just really does feel like true um gothic opera batman like it's what you want it's what you want from a batman story and that is written by ram v uh artist is uh rafael albuquerque uh dave stewart is your colorist and uh, ariana maher is your letterer or ariana mayor i think that might be i apologize if i've got your name wrong um but yeah it's incredible check it out um start buying a monthly capes book <laughs> do it for yourself you know you want to. Uh, I know Leon wants to secretly. He just refuses to. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't do it. I can't do yeah. it. <laughs> I can't do Because what will happen anyway is that an organic break will happen where uh, after uh, issue four, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, let me get back into it. And then nine months will have gone by. <laughs> yeah, you're just, you're just, you're going to wake up in cold sweats one day and you're going to be like, why, why? Why am I not buying this monthly? But yeah, yeah. And the day that happens, the, uh, a trade will be out, and it'll be all good. <laughs> so uh, that has been all the comics for today. That has been Ace Comicals episode one three six. 
Um, you can find us in all the usual places, uh, com. If you want to know more about The Loft Dweller, go look up the Halloween episodes. You'll hear me doing the hammy thing. Uh, it's good fun. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U, and you can find Ace Comicals on Twitter under at Ace Comicals, which is um, where we are the most active social media-wise. Uh, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. At SDMS, get involved in the conversation. So under the Ace Comicals uh, handle or even at Bato. Uh, the whole reason I do this is I want to talk about comics. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have any thoughts on anything that we've talked about today, if you've read anything, uh, drop us a line. Um, and yeah, that has been Ace Comicals. That is Ace Comicals over and out. <laughs>